So the title of this talk is Heart Sutra Arising. And thank you, Patrick, for the invitation to speak and for your ongoing support. And deep gratitude to my root teacher, Catherine Thanos, and all the ancestors, past, present, and future, that continue to support this way of practicing in this place and time. So just before um, I was getting ready to be online tonight, I got an email from Salt Spring Island Sangha where I practice. And they're gonna be spending the next six months um, focused on Catherine Thanos's book and every week for the next six months, somebody in the Sangha will be giving a talk of one of the chapters. And so it just warms my heart so much to know that her teachings continue on endlessly. And, um, and they're right here with us in this place and time. So the focus of the talk is about the Heart Sutra. And I'd like to start with chanting the Heart Sutra. So I'm going to mute and then, um, oh wait, I wanna say hi to everybody before we start the Heart Sutra because that's part of the Heart Sutra. So uh, Corinne, hi there. And Ziggy, hello. And Shakti, I see you. And Beth, I haven't seen you in a really long time. It's so good to see you. And Mary. And David, I don't, I don't think I know David. Hi, David. Ooh. And Yarrow. And Stan, and Michael, and Rajat, I don't know Rajat, hi, and Kai, hi Kai, I think we've met before online, and I don't know who the um, person on the phone is, but welcome, and who's in, who's that? June, hi June. And um, who is in the room? In the Zendo. Sarah is here. Hi Sarah. And Liz. Oh, hi Liz. Patrick. Patrick. Wow. Sandra. Oh, hi Sandra. I don't see you, but I hear you. I'm back by the bells. Okay. <laughs> so um, let's start. Yeah, I'm gonna mute and um, I'm gonna share my screen so we can all see the words. So I'm muting. Heart of great perfect wisdom. Yeah, I, 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 I do, do a stop first. 
Don't follow me. So stop. Art of Great Perfect Wisdom Sutra. So I have chanted, and, and many of you have as well, uh, the Heart Sutra over a thousand times, thousands and thousands of times every morning in the Zendo. And 
it's really coming up in a different way for me now, like it hasn't before. And um, what's happened is a lot of coincidences, synchronicity arising around the Heart Sutra. And I'm feeling so invigorated by the Heart Sutra. And, um, and I'm asking a lot of questions. I don't have a lot of answers, but a lot of questions are coming up. And uh, how does the Heart Sutra show up in daily life? And daily activities, that's a, bit, <laughs> that's a big one for me. And I hear from Patrick that um, you're going to be studying the Heart Sutra, Red Pine's book, very soon. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, starting tomorrow evening. And that was a coincidence. There you go. I had no idea you were going to be doing that. And I was, I'm right there with you. So it's just amazing. Another coincidence that you're going to be starting uh, a study on the Heart Sutra. Um, and I've been thinking about Heart Sutra in so many different ways. Um, when I'm in the art studio, when I'm stitching, I treat it as a ceremony, as a meditation. The stitching is a meditation the time in there, the whole thing becomes a ceremony when I <clears throat> when I set up my space, when I get ready, I ring the bell and so on, and um, connect with the ancestors in that way in the art studio. And I've been thinking a lot about the difference between a performance and an enactment when are we performing and when is it an enactment and how do we engage with wisdom and compassion as an enactment so part of this um, heart sutra coming up is i was looking for a drum i'm in a new place i'm in a new time in my life and I have a drum, a new drum for the Heart Sutra. And I don't know how this sounds, but it's Native American because that's where I'm living right now in the community of the tribes. And this is the perfect drum for the Heart Sutra in this place and time. And, um, and when I hear the heart beat of the drum in the Native uh, American uh, thinking or way, it's the grandmother heart. In my personal experience, it's also the grandmother heart that we, it's really hard to do the heart sutra without a drum for me. You know, it makes it so much more complete. But I also worked labor and delivery as a nurse, and I connected with the fetal heart. So it's the grandmotherly heart, but it's also the heart of the unborn. And that's how I hear it. So it's the grandmother heart. It's the heart of the unborn to be born. 
and it's also past, present, and future showing up all at the same time. So another coincidence, another synchronicity is um, in a Sashin at Salt Spring, part of the Sashin was transcribing the Heart Sutra. And that is a, an old, old tradition in Buddhism to transcribe in the kanji, you know. So that's kanji. It's not that the English, but the kanji. And, um, and there it is. It's showing up again as a meditation in a different way. And then the other coincidence is I have a pile of books on my on my bedside and I haven't been getting to it this is a book um, it's called painting enlightenment by Paula Arai has anybody read this one oh my gosh you 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 have to get it it's incredible it it's it changed my experience of the Heart Sutra. And I hear that she's also going to be at Jokoji on Sunday. I don't know what she's doing there, some kind of ceremony. But this story of painting, this uh, painting enlightenment by Paula Arai is all about this painter Iwasaki. So Iwasaki, um, he was uh, born in 1917. He died in 2002 at the age of 85. And he suffered so much. He, um, he suffered from internment and famine. Uh, during World War II, he was uh, interned in Australia for a a year after World War II ended. So his journey with the Heart Sutra started with suffering. And after World War II, um, he worked as a high school biologist, a biology teacher. And he also did research on famine. Um, a hawk, it was called a hawk moth that was affecting the crops. And so his, his point of reference was um, very scientific. And, and um, he didn't paint until he was 63 years old because he had to support his family. But every single one of these paintings, um, in the detail, there's a Heart Sutra image and I, I wish I could show you the whole book, but he's taken images of DNA, images of um, atoms, cosmos, and he he has practiced the um, the Heart Sutra in different sizes, so that he gets maybe eight times going around. Like on this one, you know, how many times to completely make the Heart Sutra, which is every single thing you're seeing there. It, it, it was so inspiring 
I related to the Heart Sutra in a very different way after after seeing this book. So he retires when he's 63 years old and he begins to paint. And uh, it's his approach to painting and working with the Heart Sutra in every image he makes that really inspired me. He says, I hold my paint, I hold my palms together with a sense there is some awakening power guiding me. When I paint, it feels like I am on a pilgrimage, traveling two together. It's like my hands are being guided and inspiration for ideas come to me in dreams and other types of mysterious experiences. Doing this connects me to all beings. And Paula writes, painting as a meditation, he showed us what the world looks like from the perspective of someone who experiences being an integral part of an independent whole, interdependent whole. His art models for us how to look at a dewdrop and see the universe. So he painted Buddha teardrop, he painted a dewdrop, and every single drop was the kanji of the Heart Sutra. So his journey begins with suffering. It's seeking the wisdom of the Heart Sutra and opening the heart of compassion, dwelling in the heart of the sutra copying painting. And that was a very different experience than my experience of, of doing this. You know, he, he just changed that whole process. So Paula is so clear with her writing. She breaks it down into like, <laughs> I think seven or eight parts. Uh, the wisdom of compassion dwelling in the heart of the sutra paintings. So categories are interbeing, the interconnected. I'm, I'm not going to show you all the images because we would spend all our time doing that, but the interconnectedness shows up in all his paintings. The fluidity, the flow of the Heart Sutra, the flow of life is um, shown as uh, flowing water, rain, ripples. And he talks about uh, the ripples going out relieving suffering. I mean, it's visual and nurturing um, compassion, which nourishes me and others. So my questions, where do I go for healing? And how does death nourish life and seasons of this life? And then there's forgiveness. What obstructs my view? And then offerings. So he he talks about um, in the book, uh, he offers light to illuminate, incense to dissolve fears into thin air, the bell ringing in compassion, the drum beating of the heart, and then awakening. What is my path? What is my path? acting from a compassionate heart. And then there's an element of play. 
So it's an essential part of play and I'm so happy to hear that because that's how my art shows up. I, I start by playing and it's an element of, I don't know, I don't know where this is going, I'm just playing. So it becomes a process rather than a goal-oriented uh, time. And flourishing, flourishing. What supports the journey and what limits my view? And what mud has helped me blossom? So these are my questions arising as I read this book. What mud has helped me blossom? And I, I had I had to say that it's the great matter of birth and death. So, so what is the heart sutra of my life? And how do I connect the dots? Well, I think the heart sutra shows up when I'm sitting and facing the wall, when I'm stitching into my life, when I'm breathing with nature. It's so easy to breathe with nature here. It's all around. Um, breathing into silence, breathing into daily life, just as it is. And uh, Catherine's teachings showing up in the most unexpected way sometimes. So healing the heart, healing art, healing art, healing the heart um, for me makes visible the invisible. And that's what he did. He created his heart sutra like nobody else could. And I got really inspired by that. And Mel Weitzman says that the Heart Sutra is a salve for toxic flares of greed, hate, and delusion. Form is emptiness, emptiness is form. And uh, it's pretty hard to give one talk in a half hour about the Heart Sutra. I mean, that's impossible. And I'm so glad to hear you're going to be spend, spending more time on it. But um, viewing through the lens of wisdom and compassion, both as an observer and a participant, I think that's what, what he does. Because you can get up really close to his work and see something and then you can step back and and you can see the cosmos that's how i related to it as observer <laughs> and participant so <clears throat> he has a way of creating a relationship with the artist and the viewer so you can get close and you can step back and uh you can see it with each stroke of his brush. And I've been working on a new piece and I've been stitching like a meditation. So stitching with each breath, stitching with each uh, piece, you know, it goes into my work. So 
how is the Heart Sutra alive as a dynamic function of one's life? And the whole thing about form and emptiness is not to be on one side or the other, taking an, a non-dual approach. Can you hold both? How do you hold both? And uh, not get stuck on one or the other. And so it comes down to trusting the dynamic function of the Heart Sutra, penetrating life energy both as observer and participant, the universal activity with each breath transforming and being transformed. So how to live with Prajna Paramita. Mel Weitzman says, Prajna Paramita mantra is the mantra of practice. The practice of practice. Rough or smooth, life just as it is. So finding my way, I um, keep coming back to a poem you've probably all heard, but it seems to me this is part of it. So it's um, Woman Wekai from the 1183 to 1260 is when he lived. 10,000 flowers in spring, the moon in autumn, a cool breeze in summer, snow in winter. If your mind isn't clouded by unnecessary things, this is the best season of your life. How many times have we heard that? <laughs> and I'm, I, my question is, what is this season of the Heart Sutra in my life? What is it? So, my hope is that we exist in muddy water with purity like a lotus living like a lotus flower, not attached to the water or the mud. I hope you can get the book. Um, I think Michael said it was available at Bookshop Santa Cruz. Yeah. Thoughts, questions, what comes up? for you. Hi there, this is Kai. Hi, Kai. How are you? Good. Um, I know you probably mentioned this last year when you when you were presenting your Dharma talk, but you introduced yourself and your drum by saying that you're in the midst of uh, Native culture, and I was curious as to what Native culture, do you have the names of the specific groups of people or tribes? There's many tribes here. It's Kawutsin. Mm -hmm. Where are you from? 
I'm from all over. Right now I'm in Santa Fe, but I Oh, I, Santa Fe. I, I worked on the Navajo Reservation for 20 years before I, I and I lived in Santa Cruz and studied with Catherine and several people in this Sangha who are still here. Years ago, 30, 35 years ago. So it's it's called Kowitz and Tribes. Mm -hmm. And there's different bands and different um but it's so different here. Um I didn't feel it I didn't feel the tribe cultures in uh Santa Cruz when I was there. But mm -hmm. it's it's here. It's it's in the nature. It's in going to the grocery store. It's in the river. It's in the rocks. Uh, I can feel it. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Edie, this is Sandra. Hi, Sandra. Hi. Uh, I think the very last line you said was, uh, how is the uh, Heart Sutra uh, at this time and place in your life? And I personalized that and asked myself, how is the Heart Sutra in this time and place of my life? And what immediately came up was uh, the death of my husband, which has been now uh, a little over six years. But you think of the death of someone as a singular event, but it's not at all a singular event. It has all these changes that just ripple out that you cannot ever conceive of. And uh, how is it changing me? It has changed me in so many ways. And uh, it, it's just a continuum of change. So maybe that's, you know, the words form and emptiness. Maybe that's an example of it in my life. Yes. Yes. I'm, I work in a hospice environment with palliative clients and with grieving families. And it's ongoing. It's not like an event evolving changing transforming forming transforming and that is a, a non-dual expression of the heart sutra your heart opens up and it opens up and it opens up yeah, yeah. that's beautiful and i bet you could give a talk about all the ways that it has transformed you. Mm, I'd like to say something though. I, I am in absolutely, totally unknown territory here. A week ago, I saw that there was a 30 minute Zazen meditation at six o'clock at the Zen Center, which meant that I could just click on and sit which was lovely. It was just lovely. But I don't know why I was all, I haven't, you know, meditated in a while and et cetera. But what I want to say, and I, and I listened to the Dharma talk last week and I really liked it. And I thought, well, I'll go again. 
And it's so strange. What I do, what I've made my living at my whole life, I'm 75. My whole life has been about making art. And um, my art is going in this direction that I is, uh, well, I'm an abstract painter and I, I follow an I follow the energy that comes to me and I'm working really, really, really large and it's all about emptiness. And, and if you're painting, you have to, you have to make some kind of form. So there are painters who do, who leave it totally blank and that's their art, but I am not at that point. So I'm working with form and emptiness. So I just want to thank you so much. I am definitely going to get this book and see what, you know, so, and, and I have not known this transformation working on raw canvas, huge on a wall. Um, I, I never know in my whole life. I mean, like I said, I've been doing this for a really long time. Uh, have made a living at it and uh i i never know you know it's all yeah i never know i never know anything <laughs> just do this thing that i started doing when i was three years old for reasons unknown to everyone so thank you so much i just really enjoyed it and and i've seen your work I've seen your work. You I visited. I sure have because I lived in Santa Cruz a long time and you had open studios and yes. Yeah. So I know your work. It's beautiful. And it sounds like you're opening up to something and you have an invitation and you've accepted it and you're opening up to something new. How exciting. It's very exciting. And the practical things that have to come together for me to work this large and all of that, everything is just falling into place. Oh, wow. So, you know, and I'm working at the Tannery. I do First Friday at the Tannery Art Center. I have a, a studio gallery there and everything there is just falling into place. So thanks for letting me talk. Great, congratulations. You're on a path. Thank you. <sighs> yeah. I think you'd really be as excited as I am about this book. Yeah. Yeah. Corrine. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Well, I was caught by your question of what's the difference between performance and enactment. And what popped up was uh, the song of the trusting mind talks exactly about that. It's all, to me, it was like, the active part of the Heart Sutra. <laughs> the Heart Sutra is the wisdom part, and here's the enactment of it. You know, especially like the last, um, like this side, as, uh, line, those who do not live in the single way fail in both activity 
and passivity, assertion and denial. And of course, you know, you could expand endlessly on that, especially bringing it home and relating to how it's uh, arising in your own life and how you are participating in that arising or how the arising is you. Um, and uh, so I've, I've always loved the song of the trusting mind. And this is just like you opening up, opening it, opening it up more. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to follow that thread and see what's at the end of the yellow brick road. <laughs> <laughs> it's so amazing how, you know, one day you hear it and then the next day something enters your heart, something you hear that you haven't heard before and you sit with it. Yeah. And Could I say one more thing? I don't want to take up too much time. Um, I was looking at uh, the the Lions Roar website, or actually they, they send emails, and they were showing jewelry that has uh, quotes, quotes from famous Dharma teachers. And one that caught my eye was from uh, Rumi. And it said, live like life was rigged in your favor. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sitting with that, I, I thought, yeah, you rig it in your own favor when you let go of it. Yeah. Then all possibilities reconstellate, which was what was stuck before isn't stuck anymore. And so the best of that can come forth. Yeah. And I just like that anyway. Live like life was rigged in your face. <laughs> That's a great view. Yes. The great view. Thank you. That's lovely. <laughs> yeah. Well. Should we, I think Patrick's, should we do um, the four vows? Yes, yes, please start us off. Okay. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it.